happen. We're still laying the groundwork, um, really, for uh, standards and convictions, and we're getting there. Um, we're right in the middle of this discussion on standards, and I, I've emphasized two words so far, the first being convictions. Those are the things that I'm convinced about. They, are, uh, they have to be founded on the Word of God, on a correct interpretation of the Word of God, um, but once I become convinced of those things, those are things that I am not going to, to break. Um, but then the second one that we talked about is principles. And those are they're, they're general expressions of God's will, often with a very wide application. And we apply them to individual scenarios that we come upon in our life. There are so many different things that we're going to see uh, in this day and age that were not there when the Bible was written. And so God gives us principles, and they're, they're a valid biblical foundation for our convictions, even if there's not necessarily a chapter and verse that we can put to each one of those. Like, thou shalt not smoke cigarettes, right? We've talked about that. Thou shalt not do drugs. We don't see that in the Bible. But there's lots of principles that we can build off of to say, essentially, thou shalt not smoke a cigarette. Thou shalt not take drugs and, and other things that go along with that. But only, only a fool is convinced that everything he thinks and does is entirely correct. Um, a, a wise man, under, uh, on the other hand, will understand that he has limitations. He realizes that he's not perfect. He realizes that, that, he, that he doesn't have a perfect grasp of the will of God, especially when it comes to areas um, where God does not necessarily speak specifically about something. Because of that, sometimes I think we have to preface our comments with, here's what I think. Here's what I think the Bible says. Here's what I think God will have us to do, and so on. We, we have to have that as part of that. Uh, reasons, oftentimes biblical reasons for that thinking. Um, but you add in experience, perspective, judgment, counsel, and the Holy Spirit added unto that too. But if you don't have a thou shalt or a thou shalt not or a clear uh, application of, of Bible principle, then I think we have to say, in my judgment, here's what I think we should do or here's what I think we should be or whatever. And we see that modeled by the Apostle Paul in this first uh First epistle to the Corinthian church, and this is sometimes a thorny chapter um, dealing with uh, human relationships, with marriage, with divorce, with remarriage, with, with uh, the single life, but Paul several times tells us that he's given us his own considered opinion. Now, you have to remember that this is the Word of God, right? This is written in the Word of God, and obviously this is something that God wanted for us. And so I think we see a very important principle here, if you will, that Paul is showing us his preference. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse number 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, even, even as I myself. But every man hath this proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Verse 25, Paul says this. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So he's making an argument that, that it's better to remain single. Right? than to be married for a variety of reasons, but he's very careful to tell us that this is only his preference. It's not a conviction. He said, this is, this is my judgment. This is the way that I see it. This is the way that I understand it. And I think I have the Holy Spirit to back me up on this, is what Paul is saying. 
Um, and that's what a preference is, something that you think is best. And that matches well with the definition of, of the word. The dictionary defines preference as something you choose because you like it better or like it best. Uh, the, the Latin, you know, the way that the Latin breaks that word down includes the idea of putting forward something in rank or promoting, promoting one thing over another. And if we're going to take that and put it into a spiritual context, that's not just something you like better. It's not something as mundane as, I'd rather have a blue living room than a yellow one, or, or uh, something, you know, something about your likes and dislikes or things like that. It's a considered judgment call on a certain position, and that, that certain position is the best position for a variety of reasons, even though you're not absolutely certain, 100%, that this is what God said we should do or should not do. And this is, this is almost a caveat tonight. Meaning, I need to explain this so that you understand, but it's a larger part of the whole leading up to the point of what we're talking about when it comes to standards and convictions. Because there is this, I don't know if you want to call it a gray area, but essentially that's what it is. And it's part of what we're going to talk about when we start talking about the whole. So, without understanding under our belt, let me give you a few observations, if you will, about the relationships between convictions, principles, and preferences. All right, number one. You cannot live just on your convictions. You also have to live by your preferences. And I know that sounds maybe a little bit wishy-washy to say that. It's not, though, because if you disagree with that statement, then it follows naturally, and you have to say that you're entirely convinced that everything you are doing is exactly the will of God in every respect, right? There are some things that are a little bit of a gray area in the Bible. Uh, we have those principles that we base things on, and we say we should do this, we should not do that, but some of those, we cannot be absolutely 100% convinced, 100% convinced that, it's, that it's the right thing to do, that it is exactly the will of God, because God was not specific in saying that. I don't know any spiritual person who could make that argument. And I think in practical terms, it means that there's going to be some things that you allow or disallow in your life that you cannot point to a clear, plain, scriptural foundation for those things those are your preferences. So you cannot live just on your convictions. You have to live by your preferences. Because number two, there is or there ought to be a ratio of principles to convictions and preferences. In other words, the more Bible principles that apply, uh, the closer it gets to being a conviction. The less Bible principles that apply, the closer it gets to being a preference. For, for example, when I go to church, I wear a shirt and tie, right? I wear a suit. And, and, and you know that. Most of you all do the same thing. All of you do the same thing. Um, and I have what I think are good reasons for that, but it's not a conviction, it's a preference. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt wear a shirt and tie to church, right? Um, the principle, you could argue, is there, but even that is, is a little bit murky, right? Um, it's, it's not a conviction, it's a preference. There's just not enough biblical principles underneath my decision to be comfortable to moving that over into a conviction category, Right? Um, on the other hand, my decision not to drink alcohol is a conviction. Why? Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that very explicitly state that we shouldn't drink alcohol. That's not just a preference. That's a conviction. I believe there is a lot of things in the Bible that, that show us that. Now, let me say that in, in studying this out, there, there are some people that have referred to this as God's rules versus house rules, all right? And I, 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 I am not opposed to the idea wearing a suit and a tie for church is not God's rules, necessarily. Um, God's rules teach me that I should honor the Lord with my dress, to dress my best for church, 
And in our culture, it's, it's a custom that dressing up is still a, a suit and tie, right? When somebody dresses up, they call it a suit and tie affair, right? Or a coat and tie affair because it's, it's something that you're going to dress up for. And in our culture, wearing a, a suit with a tie is still dressing up, right? It's still considered to be um, the, the, the uh, dignity and respect. And that's what I want to show to God when we show up for church. Uh, but ultimately, the suit and the tie is part of the, the house rules. It's what our church does. It's an unwritten rule, but it's, our, it's what our church does to honor the Lord. Right? You have other churches who, in their house rules, if you will, contemporary churches for the most part, uh, the house rules that are, that are also written, they, uh, unwritten, but they call for designer jeans and you know, uh, T-shirts, untucked flannel shirts, whatever it may be. But again, it's, I don't have enough of a... Uh, Bible principle or even Bible verses to say that this is a conviction that you have to, and if you don't, you're, you're sinning to not wear a suit and tie to church. I don't have enough to say that. It's a preference. Now, again, I go back to the fact that there are principles that we build those preferences on, and then we build our convictions off of principles, right? So there, there, is, there are those building blocks, but a preference would kind of be that, that low building block so to speak. But when it comes to hermeneutics, and that is, I know that's a long, uh, a big word, but that is the study of the interpretation of the Bible. How you take a passage, how you interpret that passage to mean what you think it means. But that's the idea of, of, of the weight of something. If you were to, to start uh, taking each one of these spiritual references or allusions to a particular topic and put it on one side of a weight and, uh, you know, onto a scale um, or, or the other, where would that weight lie? Do I have more weight that leans toward a conviction, or do I have more weight that leans toward a preference? And so um, you have to take context, you have to take word usage, you have to take history, you have to take culture. All of those things play a part here, and the direct context plays the largest part, but when you pile all that up, where does the weight lie? Does it lie more on the side of, well, I've got a lot of biblical evidence to back this up, and then it leans toward a conviction, or do you lean toward the side of, well, there's, there's not a whole lot there that I can specifically base this on, and so it leans toward a preference. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about a ratio of principles to convictions and preferences. But then let me say this for number three. You have to realize that what is a conviction to you may be a preference to me and vice versa. And I'm saying, I said at the beginning that this is somewhat of a caveat because we can't base everything we do off of the idea of a preference, okay? But it's, this is a part of what we're talking about, and I need to explain what preferences are. So if, if, if all you're doing is building everything that you believe off of what we're talking about with preferences, then you're going to end up with a very weak support system. You're going to end up with a very weak doctrinal system. I'm, just, I'm saying these things because I want you to understand what a preference is, and then we're going to talk about how that plays in when we start putting all these things together. But you have to realize that what is a conviction to you may be a preference to me and vice versa. And with that said, we should be gracious toward those with whom we disagree. Because there are going to be some things that are not strong doctrinal matters that we may disagree with some other people on. Um, essentially, what it comes down to is if we don't have that strong scriptural support for it, then it really is a preference. And um, I ought to be gracious in the way that we handle others. Now, God tells us that we should love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and all of our mind. He tells us that in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30. And for sake of time, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read through a lot of these verses that I, that I do have written down here, 
Um, but that implies that using our God-given powers of reasoning, our God-given powers of deduction and logic, of thinking our way through an issue in order to arrive at a conclusion or a position. But this idea fits with the understanding that we, that, that, that we have that God does not give us explicit direction or revelation regarding every single issue that we're going to face, right? There are some issues that, that really are just a, a little bit murky. They, are, they have a little bit of a gray area to them. And it's true that, that God has given us everything we need in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? Verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given for inspiration is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, right? God's given us everything that we need, uh, but it's not always cut and dry. He does, he does give us some very clear, very specific commands, yes, but he also gives us some biblical principles by statement and by example. Proverbs, in, in chapter 19 and verse 20, he tells us that we should seek godly counsel. Uh, in John chapter 16, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us into those things, and he gives us a mind, and then he tells us to stir all of that together and use it to form our understanding of how he wants us to live, right? And I think what it, what it all comes down to at the end of it is that our, our desire, our goal ought to be in everything else to imitate the holiness of God and in everything else to be as much like him as we possibly can be. And if we're trying to do that and we take all of these things and mix them together, we'll arrive at the right conclusion. What happens many times is that people are trying to see what they can get away with. What can I not do and still be called a Christian? What can I do and still be called a Christian, right? And their mindset is completely wrong, and so their preferences that they arrive at are completely skewed because their preferences are not preferences because they're doing everything they can to please God. Their preferences are preferences because they're trying to do everything they can to get away with the most that they can get away with and still be called a Christian, or still be looked at as a good Christian, or whatever else. No two people are going to approach uh, the area of preferences the same way, but their spirituality is likely going to be at, at, at different levels. Their, their grasp and their application of Bible principles is different. Their experience with counsel is different. Their ability to make use of, of the Holy Spirit's leading in their life is different. The way their minds work is different. So it, it shouldn't surprise us that, that two people can arrive at two different preferences and both of them have a desire to please God, right? There are some things that we get so adamant about sometimes um, that honestly, I think we're going to stand before God and God's going to say, I never intended that to be that big of an issue. You made a big issue out of it, right? You made a mountain out of a molehill and you chose to die on that hill and it wasn't even that big of an issue. Now, there's a lot of issues that are important and that, that, that are not just making mountains out of molehills. Um, I think a lot of times it's the opposite way around, you know, uh, people are making a molehill out of something that should be a mountain and something that should be very important in our spiritual lives. And they, they pretend, or they, they try to act like it's not important at all. But of, of course, just because we have arrived at different positions, it doesn't automatically follow that I'm wrong for having that conviction. Um, and, and that another, you know, that, that another brother thinks should be a preference, Right. If I arrive at that and I think this is a conviction, you shouldn't say, well, you're wrong. I think it should be a preference or vice versa. Um, think, convictions are things that I am convinced of. Preferences are not that way. But there's, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Presbyterians who don't understand why I make such a big deal about infant baptism, right? Or, um, for instance, because to them, believer's baptism is a preference. Right? To me, 
It's a conviction, and it's one, it's one that I don't apologize for. I, I think infant baptism is a, is a completely wrong doctrine, and I think we find a lot of that in the Word of God. On the other hand, I, I know some people who are, who are uh, against any observance of Halloween out of a conviction. For me, it's a matter of preference. Now, I don't, I don't observe Halloween, but I don't think somebody who does and takes their kids trick-or-treating necessarily is sinning, right? It's a preference for me. Um, there's other people who say, you, you take your kids trick-or-treating and you're teaching them to sin and you're celebrating the devil's holiday and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I think there are people who, I mean, they, maybe they have a valid point with that. But, but again, to me, it's a preference. If you choose to celebrate, and, and it's not even celebrating Halloween, it's observing it, going out and, and doing uh, you know, trick-or-treating and things like that. I, I don't think it's a sin for somebody to do that. I don't do it, but I don't think it's a sin for that. And so to me, that's a preference. I prefer... Not to observe Halloween, but if you prefer to observe it, then that's perfectly fine. Go do it. That's one of the reasons why we have a, a harvest festival every year on October 31st. We're going to do that instead of, instead of observing Halloween, right? Um, but they're not wrong to hold a conviction, and I'm not wrong to hold a preference. If they're convinced that Halloween and the, and the observance of Halloween is celebrating the devil's holiday, then they're entitled to have that as a conviction. But I'm also entitled to have that as a preference as well. Um, we're, we're each going to give account of, of ourselves to God. And in the meantime, and this is my point here, we have to treat each other with grace and kindness and, and with respect. I'm not saying we ought to be wishy-washy, but I'm saying that we ought to be charitable when it comes to, especially to God's children, especially about things that could reasonably la be labeled as gray areas in the Bible. Number four, all preferences are not equally valid. You say tomato, I say tomato. That might work as, as, as song lyrics, but uh, we better not apply it equally to everyone about everything labeled a spiritual preference. Paul's preferences ought to carry more weight with us than some new convert uh, who has a preference about whatever who just got baptized last week, right? Um, only a fool gives everyone equal access to influence his thinking and his actions. Wise men are going to filter their influences and the resulting decisions constantly, right? Um, and, and let me be clear when I say that I do believe that there are biblical principles that, we, that, we, that everything we do should be based upon. Um, the whole counsel of God concerning all the things that are necessary for, for God's glory, for man's salvation, for, for faith and life, it, it's, it's either expressly set down in Scripture or it's implicitly, um, it, it's, it's implied in Scripture, and we can deduce that from Scripture. So the Bible does speak to everything, either explicitly or implicitly. And it may even be that the scriptural terminology for what we're describing would be uh, areas of liberty. We have Christian liberty, right, uh, rather than preference, where differing viewpoints and differing, differing practices would be acceptable. But we do have liberty in Christ. Um, preferences doesn't mean that I, don't really, uh, that I don't really care. It means that I'm not absolutely sure beyond any reasonable doubt that this is exactly the will of God. It doesn't mean that it, it's not an issue that matters. It's just that I have to say I don't know 100% sure. I can't, I can't die on this hill uh, as, a, as a foundational truth that I'm standing on. So I do what I think is best, and I'll, I allow others the freedom to do the same. Hence, we have the idea of liberty in Christ. Uh, again, most people are using that liberty in Christ to see how far away they can go from God and still be considered a good Christian. 
the liberty in Christ is, is there to draw us closer to him and to use that liberty to, to say that not everything, I mean, that there are some things that are going to be a gray area, and I'll be gracious on those things. But if we're doing our best to try to be as close as possible to Jesus Christ, then that liberty in Christ is not a liberty to sin. It's not a liberty to go out and, and abuse the grace of, of God. It's a liberty to, to follow him as closely as we possibly know how. Which brings us then to number five. It's not always wrong to live by somebody else's convictions or even their preferences. Um, if you're under the direct authority of someone who is mandating that you abide by their convictions or their preferences, then you should do it, right? When it comes to children who have parents who tell them what to do, it doesn't matter what you think. You ought to be submitting to your parents, right? Children need to obey their parents. Students need to submit to the authority of their administration, their teachers, uh, when it comes to the church, members ought to be willing to submit to their pastor. Employees need to follow their boss. And yes, I realize that all of those have, have biblical boundaries. I get it. They do have biblical boundaries. But inside of those boundaries, if we're called to live by something that we don't yet hold as a conviction or a belief, we should, right? You, you place yourself, and, and, and obviously the kids don't have the authority to take themselves out of the uh, rule of their parents and things like that, but you place yourself under that authority because you believe that that authority is leading you in a direction that you need to go. And if, it, and if you believe that that authority is leading you in a direction that you need to go, then you need to submit to that authority, whether you 100% agree in those areas completely or, or, or whether you're 100% convinced of those things in those areas or not. And I also think that it's perhaps wise to accept somebody else's convictions or preferences while you're spiritually immature or weak. If you're a baby Christian, somebody who's brand new at Christianity, you know, or, or even if, if you still have a lot to learn or if you're still trying to grow in your spiritual life and, and your pastor advises you to avoid a certain activity, it would be wise for you to avoid that activity if you're trying to be as close to the holiness of Christ as you can. You should think long and hard before you just reject it, even if you don't understand the rationale or the reasonings behind it. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that so that everything that I say just automatically goes, but there's a reason behind everything we do. There's a reason behind everything that I preach and everything that I teach, and I'm convinced of those things from the Word of God. And even if you're not, then it's something that until you do become convinced one way or the other because of your own study of the Bible or because of your own um, you know, conviction from the Holy Ghost... Um, you know, I, I think it's something that you ought to really consider before you just throw it out and say, I'm not doing that, or I'm going to do this, or whatever it happens to be. And I also just think it's common decency to respect or honor somebody else's preferences when you're in their home or on their turf, so to speak. For example, I don't see anything wrong with wearing a pair of knee-length shorts, but if you don't agree with that, I'm not going to show up in your to your house in a pair of shorts, Right. Um, and, and in some instances, I, wouldn't, I, I, I have preferences when it comes to those things as well, and certain areas where I'm not going to wear shorts or whatever else. Um, but, you know, we, here's a perfect example. When, we, when, I, when I was in high school, when we played basketball, and we wore shorts to play basketball. And I don't see anything wrong with wearing shorts to play basketball, but there are some teams that we played against who did not believe that guys should wear shorts, and so they played basketball in pants. We didn't show up and play that team in a pair of shorts. We allowed them that preference, and we showed up and we played those teams in pants because that's what they had as a, as a preference or as 
um, as a principle that they stood upon. And so um, I, I think it's also true. It's not always wrong to live by someone else's convictions or, or even their preferences, especially, especially when they hold a higher standard than we do. Um, I may not, you know, certain things like that. I mean, that's, that's a perfect example of, of them holding a higher standard. I don't see anything wrong with it, according to the Bible. I don't, I don't really find anything wrong with, with, a, with a man wearing a pair of shorts that goes, you know, knee-length shorts especially. Um, but if somebody else holds that, that preference and that conviction, then I'm going to follow their, uh, their conviction or their preferences. And then turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. We're, we're coming down to the last one here, number 6. Because most importantly, by all means, develop your own convictions and preferences. Hebrews chapter 5, and again, I think this is, I've mentioned this idea several times. The whole point of why we do what we do is to try to get us to live uh, in, in a way that is, that closely, that as closely imitates Jesus Christ as possible. And if we're doing that, and if that's our mindset, then we're not going to get, you know, distracted by some preference that's going to pull us away from God. Hebrews chapter 5 calls all of us to grow to the place where we wisely and carefully choose what we're going to allow and disallow. He says this in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So again, he's using this example of, you know, a baby is only going to be able to handle milk. Somebody who is mature is going to be able to handle meat. And what he's saying is by the time you get to that level, to that maturity, you, and he's just using that as an example, but in our spiritual life, we should be able to tell the difference between good and evil. <coughs> Excuse me. God does not speak plainly about every subject known to man. Uh, he doesn't talk about every single issue of right and wrong. If he had, then, then he would not have instructed us on the necessity of learning to discern one from the other. If we have to discern the difference between right and wrong, why is that? It's because God does not say, these are all the list of things that are right, and these are all the list of things that are wrong. No, there is a discernment in there. And with maturity... With spiritual maturity comes that ability to discern between right and wrong. And again, that's where we come down to the idea that those are preferences. Because uh, he did tell us to do that. Because we need to be able to discern between what's right and wrong. Learn to think. Learn to study. Learn to reason. Learn to take a position on your own. Even if it ends up looking just like your father's position or, or uh, your spiritual mentor's position or whatever else. Make it your position. Take ownership of it. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the next generation, Right? Exactly what happened with me. Uh, a lot of the convictions that I have, I uh, was taught by those who taught me. But at some point, those convictions had to become my convictions. Right? I, can't, I can't just live off of what somebody else is telling me I should do. And so when somebody comes and says, why do you do this? I say, well, that's what I was always taught. That's what my pastor taught me. That's what my parents taught me. So that's why I do what I do. That's not a valid reason for why we have convictions, Right? So, I live by my parents' convictions, I live by my pastor's convictions, I live by my spiritual mentor's convictions until they become my own. And at some point, after studying and researching 
and reading and praying and having the leading of the Holy Spirit, those convictions become mine. And the same is true with us. We all ought to be getting to that point where we come to our own spiritual conclusions, where we have our own spiritual convictions based on the Word of God, where we look at all the principles in the Bible and we come to those conclusions based on those things. Some of them may not have the weight of being able to be called a conviction. Some might only have the weight of being able to call them a preference. But at the end of the day, they need to become ours. So, again, I, I told you at the very beginning that this is more of a, of a caveat than anything. Don't get bogged down in, in, in any of the illustrations that we talked about. What we need to focus on are the primary points. A conviction is something that I am convinced about, something that um, it's founded on the Bible. A principle is a general expression of God's will that often has a wide application. And, and even though they're nonspecific, they can form the basis of our, of our convictions, right? They're principles that we find in the Word of God. A preference is something that I think is best. Um, it, it has less principle support, so to speak, than a conviction does. It has more reasoning, more thinking, more discernment underneath of it. But next time, what we're going to do is we're going to pull from everything that we've discussed up till this point when it comes to convictions and principles and preferences and, and develop our concept of what standards are and how we ought to apply them. All right? We're not going to do it next week because we're going to have a communion service, but the week after that, we'll get back into it, <clears throat> and I think it'll be an exciting thing for us. That reminds me. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and then we'll sing our song. But I have a book um, that, that really goes into a lot of these different things that we're talking about. Now, this specifically applies to dress. Uh, the book is called Dressing for the Lord, and I've got a copy for everybody, uh, every family, I should say, all right? And um, I'm, I just, I'm going to give it to you. I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly what we paid for it, but <clears throat> cost is irrelevant. I want you to take it. I want you to read through it. And uh, I think it'll help you if you can read it over the next few weeks uh, as we get into these topics. Now, we're setting all of this stuff up, and I'm not, I'm not trying to hide the fact that we're setting these things up so that we can talk specifically. We talked about music standards and all that stuff already. We're, we're talking specifically about standards of dress. What does the Bible say about that? When it comes to standards of modesty and distinction, and um, I think this book will be a help to you, um, but remind me as soon as we finish up, because I'll probably forget in the next two minutes, um, but we'll, I'll grab those and I'll give those out after we're finished, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll sing our song and be dismissed. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Again, I thank you for everything that we have in the Word of God that helps us to live in a way that's pleasing to you. I pray that you'd help each one of us whether it comes to convictions, uh, principles of the Word of God, whether it comes to preferences, uh, that our goal, our desire would be to please you in everything that we do, that our heart would be to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And God, I pray that our convictions and our preferences would mirror that desire and that we have a church full of people that are moving in a direction that is pleasing to you in every single aspect of our lives. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.